Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Recorded live from the lobby of the Lion Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Are you ready? Hey, everybody. Hey, folks. Hello, everybody. People in the back! Welcome, everybody! Welcome to the inner loop. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the inner loop. Without further ado. Without further ado. Okay, so without further ado, we're gonna get started. We should get started. We're yeah. Rolling. I'm we're, we're, we're gonna get started. <laughs> Welcome to the Interloop Radio, broadcasting live on Full Service Radio from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm Rachel Kuntz. And I'm Courtney Sexton. Thank you for joining us. If you haven't already, remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you stream from. And for all of our loyal listeners out there, don't forget to leave us a review telling the world how much you love us. And for any new listeners out there, here on the Interloop Radio, we delve into all things creative writing. Whether that be inspiration or craft, what makes a great ghost story, or how to construct the perfect sonnet. Or just how we all sit down each day in front of an empty page. We play clips of local writers reading their work at our monthly reading series, and we invite a few of those writers and other local community members to join our discussion. On today's show, we want to talk about screenwriting, a little different. Yeah, except neither of us know anything about screenwriting. Uh... (laughs) I thought of this problem. I thought of this problem. That's why I asked my partner, James Skinner, to join us as a special guest host for the show. James, say hi to our listeners. Hello. Oh, she just wanted to get her partner in here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because I don't get enough of him at home. (laughs) I don't get enough of him at home. Exactly. You wanted to get him in here. James is an aspiring screenwriter, so I thought he'd be the perfect person to come on and help guide the discussion. So, James... James, as an aspiring screenwriter, what do you find are your biggest challenges when writing a script? I imagine the same things that every writer has, which is finding time and finding will. Like you have the stories in your head, but it's just sitting down and writing them. So I think those are the biggest challenges. Yeah, we do, we do a lot of episodes on how to start a project. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've done some on finishing, though, as yeah, well. Yeah, we've done some on finishing because some, some writers are those... I won't name any names who start projects and don't finish them. Um, But so how do you go about writing a script? Um, For me, it starts always just with me like watching a movie in my head that I want to write. And so as I think about it and kind of envision it, I typically write an outline and it's just kind of rough. Sometimes it's lines. Sometimes it's a whole page of a scene. Sometimes it's, you know, three or four pages, just what's in my head. But I try to write it in order of the you know movie oh, that it, it will ultimately be. And then once I have the outline, I'll start uh, writing the actual script. Some people would argue that I am stalling to write the script <laughs> by write, working on the outline. No, a solid outline is like the foundation to any good piece of writing, right? I think so. And, you know, without a map, you end up with a 300-page script, and then you spend another three years cutting it down. Yeah. So I think a lot of our listeners might be interested in adapted screenplays Mm -hmm. as writers. I mean, 
personally, I always fantasize about what it would be like to write a screenplay or to maybe adapt, work with another writer to adapt my work into a screenplay. And you're working on an adapted screenplay. So what, how has that been different than uh, working on an original script? It's actually been really exciting because I don't, I almost feel like I'm cheating because I'm taking the arc that someone else wrote, in this case, Ernest Hemingway, and I'm taking his arc. Um, and then it's not like a straight adaptation so it doesn't take place in the same era it's updated and it's more multicultural but i still take the kind of characters arcs and the story and then basically just create my story on top of it and so it's been interesting because it's the first time i've done this and you know all the scripts i've been writing since you know i was 18 in film school so it's been exciting to kind of uh, examine someone else's work and then kind of make your own on top of it uh, which Hemingway is? Are you, are you working on? The sun also rises. I thought maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, but how? Do, and I mean, in, aside from just adapting someone else's work, what what is it like to be adapting someone else like that's work? Well, luckily, <laughs> someone so big. Yeah, I am not as much of a literary head as you two ladies, <laughs> and so it doesn't feel as daunting to me because, like, I haven't spent so much time like studying the literature i mean rachel got me the book before she took me on this fabulous trip uh, a few years ago to europe and so i read it and fell in love with it and prior to that trip i never heard of it so again (laughs) (laughs) for everyone who can't see me i just made a a gassed face (laughs) sorry james It's cool. I educated him on books. He educates me on movies. Um, So what are some resources you use to constantly improve your craft? Um, For our listeners out there who are curious and want to maybe like dabble or get to know screenwriting, what would you recommend? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like listening to podcasts like this on writing is great. And there's one that I've been listening to for years called Script Notes. Um, And that's two writers, um, one that wrote Big Fish and the other one wrote most recently Chernobyl on HBO. Oh, nice. And they weekly sit down for an hour to an hour plus and talk about just every aspect of screenwriting, whether it's how to get an agent or how to start, you know, how to start or how Mm -hmm. to write dialogue. And so it's just great having like those conversations. And I follow them on Twitter and there's a lot of great conversations like in their Twitter feeds. And then reading scripts for me has always been mm-hmm, fun. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you can basically put almost any movie title in and PDF into Google and find it. You know, you have to search a little bit. You don't want to get one of those weird shooting scripts that someone watched the movie and then transcribed. You ideally want to find the PDF yeah, of the yeah, one. Yeah. But take your favorite movie you like, read that script, watch that movie, read that script, watch that movie. And then kind of like to me, you kind of get a feel for how it should look and how it should feel on the page. Hmm. Well, James is going to stick with us. Coming up, we invite a professional screenwriter on the show to give us more insight on the craft and screenwriting. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Interloop Radio. We've been discussing the craft of screenwriting, and joining us on the show is Kevin Downs, who has optioned four screenplays for feature film, has taught classes in screenwriting for more than 15 years, and currently teaches at Georgetown University. Welcome, Kevin. Uh, Thanks for having me. 
It's so great to have you on the show. Um, So I have a couple of questions from a writer perspective. And then I think James has some screenwriter questions. But my biggest question is, when you sit down to write a script, where do you start? Do you start with character sketches, like a fiction writer, with research, like a nonfiction writer? Or do you just sit down and see where it goes, like a poet? Well, when I first started, I tried to do the uh, stream of consciousness consciousness poet thing and uh, I'm here to tell you it's uh, a tricky road to follow. (laughs) Um, Today what really excites me is when I uh, I hit on an idea where I know the end. That's what uh, really gets me going now Mm. and uh, when I have that it's uh, these things happen simultaneously. Quite often it's a uh, a character with a crisis or some sort of need uh, who's going to develop into something that says has a premise or some sort of uh, theme that I feel is important. Uh, that's the thing that really gets me going. That's where I. That's what I look for when I start. Is knowing the ending. Yeah, I can sympathize with that. I'm working on my memoir, and I have been for a decade. And I finally <laughs> realized you don't know the ending. <laughs> no, I did. I finally realized what it was about, and now I can see the end. And now decade. I can't stop working about it. On it, like nothing else seems to matter. All I want to do is finish. Kevin, did you? Uh, James mentioned something, and that kind of has really been just to me the the visual aspect, right? Um, is that something that you start with as well? I. I feel like I sometimes have flashes of things even when I'm not doing a screenplay. Um, But I imagine it has to be more forceful for your work. Uh, Yes, it is. And uh, first of all, I just want to compliment what James was saying. Uh, You know, the outline is Mm -hmm. essential in this sort of stuff. Um, Once the outline is done, then, yeah, each scene that you write does need to have it's not just a visual it needs to have like an action that can be seen Mm. so when you're writing it you're like seeing the action that's uh, essential to it and that's part of the descriptive process too the scenes need to be active exciting and visual right I'm trying, I'm trying to think. Well, I'm thinking about I'm thinking about dialogue too. Like I'm like we always struggle just as like you know I struggle. So I just avoid dialogue in most of my like straight up. But like you can't. Well, although I guess that's not fair. Like there are plenty of films that that are stark on dialogue. But I feel like that plays into it too, right? Because you have to balance out the visual and the. You know what you strive for, and it's hard to hit. Okay. Uh, first of all, you know, writing good dialogue and writing good scene descriptions and mm-hmm. writing a good script is an editing process. You're okay. going to write it one time and then you're going to do it over and over. I was going to ask, how many yeah. times do you usually edit a screenplay before, like aver- on average, before it feels finished? You know, it's really hard to say what the average is. For me, the, <laughs> the first one I had any success with was uh, rewritten about uh, 15 times. Oof. But hey, that's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, inside Antoine Fisher of the Denzel Washington movie was a hundred times. Wow. Wow. uh, There's a great quote by John Sayles, who's a very well-known writer. Um, I moved to Hollywood to be a screenwriter and then found out I was a stenographer. (laughs) (laughs) uh, But the dialogue itself, just uh, 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 to uh, get into that uh, just a bit, what you strive for on a really well-written script is dialogue you try to tell the story primarily through the action and Mm. then the dialogue 
needs to be adding another flavor to it. it needs to be filling in what the action can't say. <laughs> That's so interesting. Yeah. I would have thought it was the opposite. Right. Do you find yourself, especially when you're talking 15 drafts, as I know, and two of the people that get all of my drafts are sitting in this room. <laughs> um, do you find it difficult after draft 10 to find someone that will read it with fresh eyes? Because you and I, you know, you love your script. You know, I love what I've written, but I mean, the 10th time, you know, and only a couple of nuances change and you give it to someone. And it was like, I, I don't notice the difference. I can't. <laughs> so do you find that you have to keep finding new people to get feedback from? I've got a, a couple of people for this sort of reading which put up with me and they have for 30 years they just kind of hang in <laughs> uh, it's, it's part of the deal because i gotta do it for them too yeah mm. uh when you start working professionally with people who are invested in it that's another thing mm-hmm. I, I mean they sh- should be reading it and should be giving you feedback and uh eventually that's what it becomes the, they're the ones yeah that are enforcing the rewrites Kevin, what drew you to film as a medium to begin with? You know, uh, I grew up uh, outside the Washington area, and I used to go to these great independent theaters that D.C. used to have, the Biograph and the Key and the Outer Circle, and it was just another world for me. It just, like, opened my eyes to uh, something beyond. I grew up in rural Virginia and Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) just loved seeing films from France and all over the world. Yeah. Have you ever written an adapted screenplay? Uh, yes. Or worked on one? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm something uh, I prefer not to. <laughs> uh, no, no. I, I mean, it's great if you get involved. I've worked on, um, it, it depends on what you qualify as an adapted screenplay. You know, never any really uh, great published work, mm-hmm. uh, certainly not Ernest Hemingway or anything like that, but certainly developing uh, you know, other screenplays that other people have done, uh, other short stories that people have done, uh, and sometimes uh, uh, like f- uh, f- books that are more fact than fiction, like mm-hmm. fictionalizing uh, them. There's one in particular that I had a lot of experience with. And so how is it different than writing an original screenplay? How do you strike the balance between, you know, honoring the original work and creating something new? I feel like that's similar to literary translation, too, right? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the thing is that um, not so much in the work that I've done, but, uh, you know, I'll preface this by saying I'm an educator, too, and... Mm -hmm. um, Sort of the rule of thumb in adapting is that works of fiction are usually thematically driven and works mm. for screen the screen are usually plot driven. So quite often you have to reduce the theme and heighten the plot. Mm. That's generally what goes on. In the work that I've done, it's like trying to tell the story via action. Mm. So if you take a, a book that's just like the history of something, Mm-hmm. Like, how can you tell the history through primarily active images? Right. That's what it comes down to. Interesting. Again, another thing I wouldn't have guessed. Yeah, the <laughs> versus plot, that's really cool. What are, so uh, as you're in, in your role as an educator, what are some of the pieces that are kind of like your icon go-tos for teaching? Yeah. When I have students uh, starting out, uh, there are a few works that, 
I, I try to give them current works mm-hmm. that they should reference. Uh, there's certainly classic works of screenwriting that everybody refers to. Chinatown, The Godfather, mm-hmm. uh, movies like that, Taxi Driver. Rear Window, is that still one? Uh, no. Any, <laughs> well, well, oh the deal about it is, you know, the influence of Hitchcock on screenwriting is immense. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the words of Hitchcock, <laughs> see, you've got the guy here. In the words of Hitchcock, uh, <laughs> as far as telling a story via action, it's like any good movie... Uh, you should be able to turn off the sound and have a perfectly right. good understanding of what it is. Yeah. I mean, that's what he brought to it. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and more. Uh, here's the deal. Like, anything worth Hitchcock wrote is worth reading. Anything Billy Wilder mm-hmm. wrote is worth reading. Anything that Howard Hawks was involved in. But the modern style is a little bit different. Okay. It's, much more, uh, quick, it's a much more quicker read. The descriptions are less uh, dense. Uh, the dialogue's a little more clipped. The scenes are shorter. So uh, I will certainly hope that my students on their own read Chinatown mm-hmm. or The Godfather. But as far as like showing them works to read, I tend to uh, uh, reference more current works. Uh, right now, I, I love the script of Black Klansman quite a bit. It's pretty jaw-dropping. Do you think hmm. that that shift is just reflective of the larger kind of shift in attention spans? For uh, yes, yeah. I do. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to ask also. Do you think that that shift is because screenwriting seems to have kind of like exploded in mm. the '90s as like the the thing to do, and so like you went from like nickel fellowships and like things like that getting a couple of thousand submissions to fifty thousand mm-hmm. to sixty thousand. So now, if you're a reader. You know, you're looking for something that's short, quick, and, you know, getting you right into it? Well, you know, I've worked as a reader, and pretty much what any reader would tell you was if it's not in the five pa- first five pages, it's not there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what they usually say. Uh, I think there are so other... So it's like all writing. Yeah. So I, mean, <laughs> uh, I think there are other things involved in it beyond that. Certainly, everybody who reads or is in the business is completely overworked. I mean, the, there's mountains of scripts yeah. that are out yeah. there. But there are things going on, just the uh, advent of, uh, you know, we're going back here, but certainly you could see it kind of turning with the advent of MTV. This mm. is when MTV played music videos. Yeah. And it got, <laughs> uh, you know, way back in the day. Video killed the radio star. <laughs> hey, guys. Way, way back in your grandfather's era. <laughs> uh, the, the cutting became much more quick. Mm. And... Uh, the attention span of just the viewer became much uh, more yeah. shortened too, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and you, and it just started to increase and increase and increase. Uh, you know, today it's very rare uh, in some screenplays. Even in the '80s, you could see some screenplays. Each scene would be like a page and a half, whereas when you would look at like The Godfather or Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. You know, five, six, seven, eight pages per scene. Yeah, uh, hmm. it's just attention spans in general have gotten shorter. I feel like too I was much, born. Uh, too much uh, uh, Starbucks. I, like I was born <laughs> in the wrong era. And too much content, no, right? Like, there's the other thing that, like, it's all accessible. You know, so mm-hmm. for, there's for so me, much to I'm like, oh my god, what else can I read? And then <laughs> yeah. I end up reading nothing because I'm just overwhelmed. I keep trying to tell myself that it's not going anywhere. Like, I keep going, like, yeah. oh, I've got to watch this, or I've got to see this, and I'm just like, well, they're, they're not going to, you know, explode in ten seconds. You know, I can see them next year, I guess. <laughs> 
So my biggest question about screenwriting, and every time I think about screenwriting, is as a writer, I feel an incredible amount of ownership over my words. And I, you know, tinker them and make them perfect. Um, and I never want anyone to touch them. But as a screenwriter, <laughs> um, that is, you're inherently building something that someone else will touch. And not just one person, but maybe 20, maybe 100 people. Um, and you kind of have to let it go. So what is that like to work on something, make it perfect, and then have to let it go and, and let it change sometimes significantly? Well, again, I mentioned John Sayles a while ago. He, you know, Hitchcock and John Sayles have the greatest quotes in the world. <laughs> and uh, John Sayles' uh, quote is, the great script is the one that can withstand the rewrites. Oh, wow. Uh, so you're looking for uh, that foundation mm. that you know will be survive the revisions. <laughs> and I have to tell you, too, one thing uh, I think people like to... Uh, uh, you know, blame Hollywood for bad movies and the development process. It was such a good book and it became such a bad mm -hmm. movie. Well, I can tell you, and many times, they make them better. Hmm. The people involved are, are very smart. Hmm. Things can fall apart for numerous reasons, but there are some people there that can really shape something. Hmm. And my work has been shaped uh, much better from some of the people I've been with so optimistic you're like it's not gonna go bad it's gonna only get better <laughs> no, I like that idea of shaping though because even in and it's to a lesser degree because there aren't as many different visions on top of it that as Rachel was talking about but even I've done a lot of magazine writing and I'm working with editors and copywriters and various and things. any kind of collaboration really yeah and I I have to say like every time I've been so pleased with the end result like I'm like oh you really helped me pull out that essential thing that I was trying to get at and that like was there but it's not really there. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, everybody gets into uh, the business of filmmaking because they go to a movie and <laughs> at some point they think, I could do this. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it, I've worked in editing too and things mm -hmm. of that sort. Everybody along the line is rewriting just in a different manner. Mm -hmm. Uh, say with images if you're an editor or with the actors if you're the director it's, right. and they're all it's the same thought thought process just different tools mm -hmm. and it's funny you say that because I've as someone that's wanted to write movies for as long as I can remember every time I tell someone that they're always like oh I got a great movie idea <laughs> or oh I also wanted to do that and I always laugh because I don't think it happens to people who write novels because it's so daunting and it seems yeah. <laughs> so hard. And I mean, people barely can read a whole book. So, <laughs> so the idea is like, oh, I don't have a novel in my head, but a movie. Yeah, yeah I've watched those. I could write I that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there's also the tools accessible, right? You know, like that, I think, has changed yeah. things too, where it's you don't have to buy hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's worth right of here equipment. on your iPhone. Yeah, exactly. Just go and you shoot can it. visualize it easier. <laughs> Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Kevin. It's been really lovely. Yeah. Uh, uh, thanks for having me. And I really want to congratulate you, too, on what you're doing. It's certainly uh, uh, a value to the Washington area. Thank oh, you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Up next, we have a very special segment to present yeah. a live reading uh, written by our very own guest host here, James Skinner. Hey Stay tuned for the fun. Gather. Gather. <laughs> 
gather more. Um, you can gather in. Gather around, gather around for the second half. And we're gonna get started. We're gonna get started. We'll get started. We're officially getting started. I'm not teasing you this time. Welcome back to the Inner Loop Radio, broadcasting live at the Line Hotel in Washington, D.C. We turn now to a very special segment, a live reading of a screenplay written by our <laughs> guest host, James. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm really excited about this. I've been nervous too. and excited. No, this it's is awesome. Super exciting. So, James, tell, tell us a little bit about the screenplay before we get started. Um, all right. Well, this is one page uh, early in the first act, but I'm currently in the process of trying to um, adapt uh, Ernest Hemingway's The Sun Also Rises. Uh, one, I noticed online that it was... Uh, it oh, was... I didn't realize this was... Got it! Okay, it all makes sense now. Courtney's just caught up. Yep. Okay. Um, as I mentioned earlier, um, this was a book that Rachel bought me and I read and fell in love with. And, and as I was reading it, it seemed... I mean, it was about, you know... Um, the Lost Generation. Yeah, The Lost Generation, like, right, pre-20s. Um, and I felt like a similar feeling of like especially for black millennials um kind of having that similar feeling of having like no real identity that doesn't like kind of match with what their parents lived with kind of being in this mm. weird uh world of you know pre-technology and like also existing in it and so either way it seemed like it kind of would uh, adapt well and so that's what i started working on and so this is a a little bit from and that. so this is about a group of black americans who absconded to Europe to Nahizi Coat style yeah getting out of America getting out of America you know it's not in the text but you know kind of the post-Trump where as everyone said like you know if he wins I'm oh, leaving. leaving you know like these folks actually did they, you know they Expats, were fed man. up with Smart. you know what it was like to be black in America and they were like let's just see if it's better somewhere else and also the fun of uh, The Sun Also Rises is that they just spent the whole time drunk and you know sleeping <laughs> with each other and so it just seemed like and a really... all the penis references, <laughs> dick jokes all over the place. It's true. I need to capture some more of those. Ideas. Right? <laughs> Revision. Okay. Uh, well, let's get to it. Um, I'll introduce our actors. We have Diana Vega, Interloop alum, writer, and comedian, reading the part of Francis. Welcome, Diana. Hello. Thank you. And. Ian Smolka, who is another aspiring screenwriter and who taught me a lot during the Oscar watching party, uh, reading the part of Jake. Welcome, Ian. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, And James will be reading the part of Robert. Courtney will read the part of the waitress. Sorry, Courtney. And I will read the stage directions. Don't be sorry. There's no shame in that. (laughs) She accused me of typecasting. I mean, I didn't say that was a bad thing per se. Uh, We should say that we're really blurring the line between a screenplay, a radio play, uh, written work. Um, Yeah, I like that. (laughs) It has that radio play thing going on. Yeah, it's got a little bit, you know, so you just go with it. Go with it. All right, here we go. Exterior bar evening. Jake and Francis stand outside, the low hum of the evening traffic behind them. Francis pulls out a cigarette. She offers one to Jake. 
He accepts. She lights his cigarette, then hers. You know he's leaving me, right? Jake shakes his head no. Yeah, book's done, he's done. What do you mean? (laughs) He's the one that went around telling everyone that we were getting married. So of course I tell my mom, my sisters, my best friends. I was fine keeping it casual. So what happened? He decided he hasn't lived enough. He went back to New York for this book without me, and I think he was reminded of what life could be like for a famous author. He's far from famous. The hell is a famous author these days anyway? It's whatever, honestly. I'm not going to marry him if he doesn't want to, obviously. It just seems a little late, you know, after two and a half years of waiting for a divorce to finalize and after helping him push the book across the finish line. The timing is fucked up, that's for sure. We were supposed to celebrate, celebrate the book, celebrate us, like a pre-honeymoon. I guess I should have guessed it when all we had were grammable moments, all played out for his followers on the gram or Twitter. Nah, that's some bullshit. He always seemed like he'd be a good dad, you know? No, not really. You do know he has kids, right? I know, but it's complicated. He has a crazy ex, I have a crazy ex. That's one of the things we have in common. She takes another long pull from her cigarette. This isn't my fault. And... It's all my fault. I I wouldn't doubt either of those conclusions. Anyway, let's go inside. She starts to walk in, then stops. I know what he wants. What's that? He wants to go back to New York for the launch. He wants to have his fans all around him when his book comes out to glowing reviews, and he doesn't want me. Maybe the book will fail. She flips her cigarette. I wouldn't let that happen. Let's go. They start in, and she puts her hand on Jake's shoulder to stop him. Don't tell Robert I told you this. Of course. They walk into the bar. Robert is sitting with his head down, reading his phone. He's smiling. Oh, that's the only angle I ever see that smile anymore. Robert looks up from his phone. Head down, smiling at his phone, at his sycophants. No, I was smiling at you two, out there with your secrets. Telling each other everything. Oh, yeah? Francis sits down and points up to his phone. How are the fawning masses? Still fawning. Was it about you going back to Atlanta? I've never been one for social media. How many followers do you have? A couple hundred. The post requires me to post weekly on my personal accounts. <laughs> That's nothing. You should be like your boy Robert here. He's got close to 50,000. Many willing to sleep with him. Francis. What do the kids call it? I slid into the DMs. And let me tell you, these women leave nothing to the imagination. I've seen parts of the female body I know I have. Jesus Christ, are you done? Is this what you two are talking about? I'm sorry, Robert. I just wanted to tell Jake my side before you poison the whale. <laughs> lose them how, how you get them. That's what they say. The waitress walks by. How we doing? I'll have a vodka soda. Bourbon on the rocks? Robert just shakes his head. Robert is sending me home to Atlanta. Ask me how many people I know back home. How many people do you know? None. Isn't that right, Robert? 
I'm not sending you home. We need you to go. <laughs> we? You mean you and the publisher, the publisher I work for, the publisher I introduce you to, and when exactly are you planning on coming home to Atlanta, Robert? I'm, I'm not sure what the, like, the final date is. This is how he does it. Never good at confrontation. That's what he needed me for. So he sends me home on a bullshit errand to leave me. You think this is the civilized way of ghosting someone? I'll fly her home and just never come back. The waitress returns with the drinks. Anything else? Yes. Maybe you can settle a bet for us. As a general rule, is it ever a good decision to start a relationship with someone cheating on their significant other? Oh, hell no. Once a cheater, always a cheater. Exactly. Frances shoots daggers into Robert with her eyes. Robert picks up his glass and pours a few ice cubes into his mouth, crunching it loudly. The waitress, picking up on the awkwardness, hurries away. Did Robert ever tell you how we started dating? Can't say that he has. How did you two meet? Robert was dating his assistant. How original is that? And then he managed to cheat on her with me. I mean, usually you cheat with the assistant, but Robert has always been an innovator. I let this asshole cheat up, sneaking around on his his assistant with an editor. Can you believe it? I used to think he wanted more than someone pretty on his arm, a pretty wife. I thought he wanted an intellectual peer, but I figured it out. Two years late, but I figured it out. You know what he want? Why he wanted me? Why? Why are you playing along with this? The woman is asking me questions. Should I ignore her? You're welcome to chime in any time. Thank you, Jake. Fine. Enlighten us all. Why did I want you? Oh, that's easy. I'm black. (laughs) I've dated black women before. Yeah, but weak writers need strong editors. And for this book, you needed my voice and a pretty black woman on your arm, on your Instagram stories. You needed someone in the photos for your book tour. My editor became my fiance. Sounds better. Girlfriend is so frivolous. Sounds like you're fucking your editor. Make sure, Robert, with the new girls, actually treat them to the life a little bit instead of just putting on a show for your followers. Hmm, the book's done, so he doesn't need me anymore. She finishes her drink and stands up. So it's back to Atlanta for me, 33-year-old, divorced, and dumped. Oh, and I guess I'm fired, too. It's fine. I'm sure some SoundCloud rapper will pay to throw dollars at my ass in a thong or something. Have a nice life. I'll see you at home, my love. Good to see you, Francis. She walks away. What the hell was that? Yeah, Robert. What the hell was that? Fade out. (laughs) (laughs) Fade out. Fade out. I forgot to say fade in at the top. Um, that's my radio head for y'all. <laughs> radio head cow. Uh, anyway, that's our show. <laughs> that was totally our show. Uh, join us every other yeah. <laughs> join us every other Friday at noon, right here on Full Service Radio or anytime on your favorite podcasting app. To find out more about us or submit to read at our next event, visit us at the inter the interloopalit.org. Today's episode was produced by me, Rachel Kuntz, and our theme music is by Andrew Logan. Thanks again to Kevin Downs, James Skinner, Ian Smolka, and Diana Vega for joining us on the show and being such awesome readers. 
And if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to leave us a review anywhere you would like. Something real nice. Such as the Interloop crew. What a crazy bunch of a-holes. And I want to be one of them. Heyo. <laughs> Uh, my script is gone. Just subscribe. Have a great week. Subscribe, subscribe please. Subscribe. <laughs> it says right there. Don't forget, no, Courtney. Every time I'm here, it signs me out. Oh. I don't well, know. Anyway. You'll never miss an episode if you subscribe. You won't. Happy writing. Right on, Litwitz. <laughs>